o'clock. Ladies, you are welcome to come out and have a good time at the woman's Christmas party. See Lynette for a sign-up. And this coming Friday evening, 5 p.m. I'm sorry. My brain is not functioning well. Next Friday at 5 p.m., Christmas Eve, the 24th, from 5 to 6, we're having our Christmas Eve service. You are all welcome to come and spend some time with us in the Christmas Eve service. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles. You're listening around the world. If you have your Bible, open it up. The first chapter of Romans, we're going to continue in our series there. Romans chapter 1, we're going to read verses 18 through 32, and then respectively we're going to dig in as we continue through line upon line, verse upon verse, teaching, verses 20 through 23. So please follow along at the reading of God's Word. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood. How? Through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, of birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. <clears throat> As a result, or therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26. For this reason... Second time, God gave them over to what? Degrading passions. The woman exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another, men with men committing, let the scripture be clear, church, indecent acts and receiving in their own person the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over the third time to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Sounds like our world today, don't it? And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things or practice as a way of life such things 
are worthy of what, church? Death. They do not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. Remember, he's writing this to a church. Keep that in mind. So I'm going to ask you some tough questions again that I asked you a month ago when I was preaching. And I know these are going to be tough, but I want you to think through them. And then we're going to dig right into the text. Are we authentic believers in Jesus Christ? Or is our attachment to Jesus Christ just superficial? These are not on the slides yet. Do we have an empty testimony, meaning we know about Jesus, but we really don't know him intimately? Make sure you're asking yourself these questions as I read them. Do we just give the appearance of being a genuine disciple, or do we just blend in well? Church, have, have we perfected the art of acting religious? How about this? Have we really died to self? Think about those questions this morning as we dig in. Now, in our last time, you can put up slide six. In our last time together, we had finished up verse 18 we, where we learned how God has unveiled his wrath against sin. We saw how it is revealed in our consciences. And if you remember the conscience, God has given each one of you a conscience. And our consciences bear witness, accusing us or defending us. And we looked at how his wrath is continually being revealed in physical sickness and death. And we see how it is revealed in nature where thorns and thistles grow in the ground. And we, of course, see how the weather is acting strange. People dying around our country. And finally, we see how his wrath has been revealed at Calvary. Church, we saw that it is God's hatred of sin that his only son came into the world to bear the Father's wrath against sin on our behalf. And as slide 6 says in Ecclesiastes 12, 14, what does the Bible say? God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it's good or evil. I think the scriptures are very clear that nobody ever gets over on God. He's never caught off guard, church. And in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before that bema seat, that judgment seat of Christ. doesn't say some of us or a couple of us. All of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or evil. We have learned that those who die in their sins, their works clearly follow them. And I really believe this is why Paul so passionately preached the gospel. Church, hear me this morning. Even though each of us are hell-deserving sinners, even though we are his enemies, the Father has sent his only unique Son to die in our place so that you and I can be reconciled restored and brought back into a right relationship with the Father and enjoy eternal life with Him forever. And then we had learned what the wrath of God has been revealed against. Put up slide 7. Look what John MacArthur says. God's wrath is not like the wrath of a madman who strikes out indiscriminately, not caring who is injured or killed. Nor is it like the sin-tainted anger of a person who seeks to avenge a wrong done to him. Up slide 8. We looked at John 3.19. 
This is the judgment that light, by the way, that's not the word lukon there, that's the word phos. That word light there is a light that's never been kindled and it can never be quenched. It's a light that's always been. This is the judgment that light, that light, has come into the world. Men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. This is one of the reasons or the main reason why the wrath of God is be continually being revealed against sinful behavior and that way of life. Sin, church, is a violation of God's law. And in our last time together, we looked at slide 9, 2 Timothy 3, 3 through 5. Take a look at this. And again, we all need to be looking inward and search me, O Lord. Psalm 139, 23, search me, O Lord. See if there's any evil way in me. But look at what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy to Timothy. It says, Timothy, people will love only themselves. That's a misplaced love. And their money. They will be boastful and proud. Timothy, listen, they're going to be scoffing at God. They're going to disobey their parents. And they're going to be ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving and will slander each other and have no self-control. Does that sound like our world today? They will be cruel. They're going to hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless, puffed up with pride, and they're going to love pleasure rather than God. They're going to act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Timothy, stay away from people like that. Scripture is so replete with warning us. And there it is, front and center, church. So what did we learn? We had learned that Paul was speaking about people who may have some interest in God. They may have prayed to God. But hear me, church, their entire way of life, the way they live out each day, is denying God so there is no real genuine relationship with him. I pray that's not us. To sum this up before we move on, ungodliness is a refusal to live life for God's glory and to praise his holy name. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, it is all to be done to the glory of God. So if you and I are not living for his glory and only his glory, we need to confess that's ungodliness, church. Listen, you and I are to desire God with our whole heart, with our whole, every fiber of our being. Mankind was created for God's glory, not our own glory. In verse 19, Paul spoke of why mankind is without excuse. And we had learned that man cannot plead ignorance concerning God. Slide 11. Look at verse 19. Because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them <clears throat> and we learn that God had revealed himself to mankind in the power of his creation and God has imprinted evidence of himself in every person slide 12 and then verse 20 <clears throat> for since the creation of the world his invisible now invisibles we can't see right look at this verse for this, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, 
his divine nature have been clearly seen. How have they been seen, God? Being understood through what has been made. So they are without excuse. Last time we were together, last month, we considered the sun, the moon, the stars, the universe, the countless kind of animals. We even looked at the human eye. And God in his providence has arranged things and how he has provided for the animals. He's provided for you and I. So then, his invisible attributes, his, or I should say his invisible attribute, which is clearly unseen, is referring to his power and creation and providence, which is clearly seen and visible. And that's why mankind, church, and you and I are without excuse. If this is true of every human being, especially unsaved people, how much more terrible will it be for those who have been brought up where the gospel has been preached, where they've heard the eugelion, the gospel, the good news? Slide 13. Here's some questions. And what we've been learning, ask yourself this. <clears throat> what are you and I doing with this knowledge? How about this, church? Are, are we fighting against God and his truth in our own lives because we want our own way? Are we, kateko, are we holding back the truth because we want to live according to our own terms and conditions and not God's? Are we forcing that truth back because we think our way is the right way? You know, we see today, and you guys, if you watch some of the preachers on TV, we see that many folks today will twist the word of God to fit into their own way of life or they try to explain it away. Unbelievers, they are given a general revelation of God as we all are. They see his handiwork all around them, but they deliberately suppress it and want nothing to do with it. Slide 14. Now let's dig into some new stuff. For even though they knew God, they didn't honor him as God. <clears throat> they didn't give thanks. They became futile in their speculations. Speculations, logismus, their, their reasonings, their imaginations, their thoughts. As a result of that futility in their reasoning and imaginative thoughts, their hearts, their foolish hearts are darkened. They're professing to be wise, but they became fools. So let's answer the question, why do people want to suppress the truth about God? Paul uses the word new there. The word's gnosis. It means... They were fully aware of what was going on because God made himself evident to them as he does for each of us even today. But even though they, he made himself evident to them, they did not honor or esteem him. Why? Pride. Do you struggle with pride? Be honest. Paul says they became futile and their speculations. Well, we don't talk that way, Pastor Jack. Well, let's break that down. What did Paul mean when Paul used the word futile? The Greek word is matias. The word futile has this idea of vain, foolish, perverse, wicked, worthless. So vain carries the idea of of excessively proud or concerned about her own qualities, achievements, appearances. We look at somebody that overdresses, we'll say that's very vain. 
It's not a word that we use a lot today, but that's kind of the idea of being futile or vain in their thinking, their reasoning, their speculations, their imagination. Slide 15. Let's be honest and ask yourself some questions based on what the text is teaching us this morning. How does our thinking, how does our reasoning and our imagination show up and pervert our talk? Oh, it's getting quiet in here now. Think about it. How does our thinking, our logismos, our, our reasonings, our thought life, our imaginations, how does that show up and pervert the way we talk to each other? How does it, how does it twist our behavior where we think more of ourselves than we really should be thinking of ourselves? I deserve that. I'm entitled to that. Maybe we think we're entitled to things. Maybe we listen to the world's counsel and reject God's counsel because we want our own way. I want you to really be thinking about that. God made himself evident to them. They did not honor him. So think about it. Are there things that I think about or imagine in my thought life that are dishonoring to God? My fantasy life, does that really show up and dishonor the Lord? Because he sees your thoughts before you even think them. Yeah, we are completely naked before the creator of the universe, church. I want you to consider Adam and Eve. Remember what happened to them? Slide 16. You see, Adam and Eve, their biggest mistake there was they started listening to the voice of another counselor that's not God. So let's, let's, let's peek into history and look at the story. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. You see, Eve, listen, God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be just like God, knowing good and evil. You're going to be able to do everything God does, Eve. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes. It was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave it also to her husband with her, and he ate. Instead of protecting his wife, he just went right along. Slide 17. Let's think about that word futile or vain for a moment. Pride always seems to be the root cause of bringing mankind down. How about us in our life today? Where do you and I stand, church? Even though we know God, how often do we find ourselves not honoring God for who he is? Can you think of places in your life right now where that shows up? How often do we find ourselves not giving thanks for all that he's done for us? Tough questions. As my father-in-law likes to say, it's hard to fit in our ear. How about slide 18? Let's tease Romans 121 apart a little bit more. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. They did not give thanks to him. They became vain or futile in their thinking. Their hearts were darkened. Their thoughts and reasonings were darkened. See, Paul is trying to help us understand that instead of accepting the fact that God has revealed himself to mankind, people begin to substitute their own ideas and thoughts instead of God's. How often do we make decisions and we don't even bother to spend time 
praying about it and spending time in the scriptures and saying, Lord, can you give me some wisdom for this? And we just impulsively run ahead. It shows up in our wallets. I love when it shows up in our wallets. You know, you go through the stores, pupils dilate, or you, you see the commercial on TV. We don't care if you ever paid a bill. We'll give you the loan at 80% interest, and it'll take the rest of your life to pay it off. You know, you, we have to be careful and slow down and say, Lord, is this the best use of, of, of the money that you allow me to earn? One of the things we also forget to do is God owns everything. We, we, we love to say, that's my money. <clears throat> I earn that money. Well, you may have earned it, but whose money really is it? It's God's money. God says that you're a steward. So ask yourself this. If you hired somebody to manage your money the way you spend it, how long would they be employed by you? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Don't throw starts at me. <clears throat> Think about it. Futile in our speculations. So God has revealed himself to mankind, and we substitute our own ideas and thoughts for God's. Today, it's difficult to even get people to open up their Bibles to hear from God. But it's interesting how most folks don't mind treating God like a waiter at a restaurant giving him orders to fill. God, do this for me. God, do that for me. Rub the bead, the genie, and get three wishes. Why? Pride. It seems that people don't want God having any control over their lives. So there's no real desire to yield to him. Man does not like God because man is wicked, church. I'm just preaching what the text is telling us. Think, think about this with me this morning. Think about the world we're living in and the chaos going on. If there's no God, there's no Ten Commandments, there's no law, then man can do whatever he pleases with no moral restraint. The Bible calls that hedonism. I want all the pleasures without any restraint. I want to lay with that woman, even though I'm not married to her, and if I don't like her anymore, I'm going to trade her in like a used car and find another, and the reverse is true with the men. I'm calling it like it is, church. That's my job. We want what we want, the way we want it, how we want it, and if God says thou shalt not, the kateko, we want to push him back. And we see that being lived out today, church, don't we? You know, people today reject the truth that is explained in the scriptures for the sake of different philosophies that will fit their narrative. And yet, this is why there is so much chaos and confusion in the world you and I live today. Then we come to the statement. We come to the consequence of this vain thinking. Paul says their foolish heart was darkened. Here you and I now see the consequences for having foolish pride. <clears throat> We've learned about the heart from past teachings. I've taught on this. Your heart is the directional system of your life. Don't ever forget it. Your heart causes shapes and shepherds your behavior so whatever church whatever controls your heart is going to exercise inescapable influence over your life and behavior I learned that from Paul Tripp now think through that for a minute your heart the inside of you that's the directional system of your life in fact you base everything in your life about getting that thing that you're chasing after that you want 
Your heart is what is causing, shaping, and your heart is what's shepherding and nurturing your behavior. So think about it. Whatever in your life right now is controlling your heart is going to have inescapable influence over your life and behavior. Well, Pastor Jack, where does it say that? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Slide 19. What did Jesus say? For where your, heart, where your treasure is, the thing that you treasure the most, that's where your heart's going to be. It's linked. Well, what's a treasure? Imagine if somebody came up and said, can you write out the work and definition of the word treasure for me? Well, think about it. A treasure is something in your life that gives value and purpose to your life. Some people, it's money. Each of us judges our life by how close we are to getting that thing that we're chasing after. Listen, you and I do what we do because we think it's going to give us what we want. So Paul is teaching us that foolish pride darkens the heart. And because of this foolishness, man becomes destitute of spiritual understanding. He finds it almost cripplingly in pain to open up his Bible. So man would rather believe the world's philosophies. And the darkness that shrouds his heart makes him incapable of understanding true spiritual things. So then when God reveals himself to man, the problem is man doesn't even recognize him. What did Paul say? Slide 20. 1 Corinthians 2.14 The natural man, meaning the unsaved man, the person that's physically alive but completely dead in their sins and trespasses, that person does not accept or welcome into his heart the things of the Spirit of God because to him it's foolishness. And they can't understand it because they are spiritually appraised. And if you're, what does an appraiser do? An appraiser is somebody that attaches value to something. If you go to trade in a car, the appraiser looks at your car and says your car is worth this. Or if he comes out and look at your house, your health is worth this. So it attaches value. So the, the unsaved man attaches no value to the word of God because his heart is darkened. And so when we talk about spiritual things to somebody that's completely dead in their sins and trespasses, they can't understand it. It's, to them, it's, you're crazy. It's foolishness. Forgive that person that did that to me. You're out of your mind. How about Ephesians 4, slide 21? Paul, writing to the church of Ephesus, says, says this. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer as, well, it's really Gentiles, but it's unbelievers, also walk in the futility of their what? Mind. That word walk is the word peripateo. It means the way that they are living out their life each day, their walk. How do I live each day? And Paul's saying, don't walk and live each day like unbelievers walk and live each day. In that futility of their mind. They're darkened in their understanding. They are excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the hardness of their hearts. Think about how a hard heart destroys and shipwrecks families and relationships. If I, you know, couples come together, if you're not going to do it my way, I want nothing to do with you. And they, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. 
He's writing to the church at Ephesus. What do we see here? We see pride. We see conceit instead of the true revelation from God. And Paul teaches us that people go chasing after worthless, central things because they don't know God, nor do they want to. They are excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, church, I want to make sure I help you understand this a little bit more. I'm trying to keep this not to be too dry for you. I didn't even put up a lot of Greek slides for you this week. Now, keep in mind that Paul is not talking about a lack of knowledge as far as intellectually speaking. He's not talking about people that, you know, have a first-grade reading level. He's not talking about that. You see, he's talking about something that is really rooted deep in the heart of man because man, before Christ gets to him, is dead in his sins and trespasses. Dead people can't make good decisions for God till the Holy Spirit quickens them, wakes them up, so when they hear the gospel, they come to a saving faith in Christ. And this is all going back to Genesis. It's all a result of the fall. Now hear me this morning. It's not solved by just giving them information. This type of ignorance is something that grips their heart tightly because it's woven into the very fabric and way of life of the way they live. They have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every type of impurity and greediness. So Paul is saying, listen, you're going to know this because it shows up in how they live their life. It's part of their personality. It's part of the way of their life. He says, because of the hardness of the heart, having become callous. What is a callous? You're a guitar player, you find out very quickly what a callus is. Callus is that thick, dead lining of skin that prevents feeling. And the way Paul is using that word here is they feel nothing. They're apathetic. So this dead callousness of sin and worldly philosophies is what's covering their heart. So there's an absence of feeling where the person is not even susceptible to wanting to know the truth. So let me bring this around for you now. Let me wind this up for you. I know you're hungry. You know, Dr. Carter and I have had a lot of talks about this. And I don't know if this describes you, but if it does, I would fall on my knees and cry out to Holy God and ask him to forgive you for your sins and to save you. But church, this is why people can come and they can hear the gospel Week after week after week, they can hear the gospel preached month after month, year after year. They can still crack open their Bible here and there and still not be even affected by it. This is the hardness of heart that Paul's speaking of. There are those who leave churches week after week after week, and they go back living like they never heard anything. They go back to the sensual way of life. Their heart can't even respond because it's callous and there's no remorse and grieving for the sin. Ask yourself this. When was the last time you wept over and grieved over your own sin? The closer you draw to the Lord, that starts to happen. Hear me this morning. Disobedience to God's will always produces hardness of hearts. Every time you commit the same sins over and over and over again, there's less sensitivity in fact, every time you commit the sins over and over again, 
your conscience bothers you less and less and less because you've normalized that behavior. And you begin to build up that callus that covers your heart where you don't feel anything anymore. You just embrace it. That's dangerous ground for people that claim to be believers. What can be more tragic in our hearts than a gradual hardening of our hearts? How about what the writer of Hebrews says, slide 22. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Boy, that's a sobering verse. Literally, you have to fall away to enjoy sin. And, and I've used this illustration many times before of a person that is in front of a stove and they turn the burner on. And they turn the burner all the way up. And the flames are shooting out. If I grab their hand and I put it over the flames, immediately, what do they do? They recoil and pull back. They feel the pain. But if I start cutting all the nerve endings in their hand, eventually that hand could be in the fire and they feel nothing anymore. That's hardness. That's hardness of heart, church. You have to fall away to enjoy sin. Remorse for your sin follows and takes away the pleasure when you're a new believer. But if you go back and do it again and again and again, your heart becomes less callous, becomes more callous and apathetic. And I know this is uncomfortable teaching. How about this? Have you ever noticed lately, anymore today, that it seems like you really never get to know people anymore? We meet the mass that is put up. Not just the mass for the COVID, but we meet the facade. People come to church. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. The life is shattered and falling apart. Hey, I'm doing great. How about you? Put up the mask. Everything's great. We meet that facade or appearance displaced right or displayed right in front of us. Hey, don't we do it ourselves? Let's be honest this morning, don't we? You really get to know people intimately anymore. Very few of us know people intimately without the mask or facade. Why? Ask yourself why that is. Life is cruel, isn't it, church? And the result is the hardness of hearts. So back in Romans 121, Paul says, their foolish heart was darkened. Their lack of sound judgment is on display. In fact, they reject a perfect biblical explanation for the sake of the worldly philosophies. They profess to have wisdom, but instead become fools. Back in Paul's day, people would listen to and celebrate the philosophies of the Greek teachers that day. We call them, they were called sophists. They loved the poets. They loved the orators. But as the scriptures teach us, they became fools to follow the empty teaching that does not save or lead you to an intimate relationship with Christ. And that brings us to, and we'll finish up with verse 23, slide 23. Romans 1, 23. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, birds, four-footed animals, crawling creatures. Now, 2,000 years ago, they carved idols. If you've, you've ever been to a museum, they've carved idols of all of these different things, or a man, a half man, half animal. They did all of that stuff. But here what we have in theological terms is what we call the great exchange. 
man has exchanged the glory of God for the image of a man and beast. Why, church? Man doesn't want to worship the true and living God. And the idea of glory, that's where we get the word doxa from, or doxology. The, the idea of glory is used, is, is used here in Scripture is the splendor and majesty that solely belongs to the only true and living God, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the only true and living God. But man doesn't want to know God as he has been revealed, so they make up their own gods and worship them. And that happens today. Now, back then it was those things. Today, what is it? Cars, homes, money, spending all day in the Wawa or the turkey hill going over to the machine with the scratch off tickets they walk over there eyes get big and they buy these tickets i'm sure none of you have ever done that and and they're sitting there and they're none of y'all did that i'm sure if i just get this money oh things will be great if i win the lottery everything's going to change for me things are going to be great but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil that is a fact. John Calvin actually says that our hearts are these idol-making factories. So I want to take just a couple more minutes and just kind of make sure we fully understand what did Paul mean when he used the word idols? What does Scripture mean when he used the word idols? I want to make sure you understand it because every one of us sitting in this room and you listening around the world, without realizing it, some of us have idols. We put too much value on things that we shouldn't be putting value on. So, slide 24. In the Theology of Work Commentary, it says this. Here's a great definition. Idols are gods of our own creation. In ancient times, idols would take the form of physical objects. But the issue is really one of trust and devotion. On what do we really pin our hope on our well-being and success on anything anything that is not capable of fulfilling our hope that is anything other than god is an idol what are you pinning your hope on i hope it's not the scratch off tickets i hope it's not money cars and fame and all that other garbage slide 25 it goes on to say this if we do have some other concern stronger to us than our love for God, it's not so much that we're breaking God's rules, but that we are not really in a relationship with God. The other concern, be it power, money, security, recognition, sex, or anything else, has become our God. Church, what are those things in your life right now that have become God replacements. Cigarettes. Okay. Is it money? If I had more money, my life would be this. Is it sex, booze, drugs, pornography, or a, a relationship with somebody that you shouldn't be in that kind of relationship with? Hear me this morning. And I know this is tough, but it's got to be preached. We have these idols... Let's be honest, because we want control. We want to control that idol, because we want that idol to give us what we want. So we are the one that energizes and gives power to that idol. 
We worship them to get what we want. But the problem and the end result is that we end up becoming enslaved to it. It promises freedom, but it delivers slavery. And it shipwrecks and destroys lives. Of course, back then they worshipped those beasts carved out of wood and stone. Israel had the golden calf, slide 26. Now here's people that have seen all these miracles from God. People, well, Pastor Jack, if Jesus comes and talks to me and I see him face to face, then I'll believe. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I'm going to back it up with scripture right now. Exodus 32, 4, and Ezekiel 8, 10. He took from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool, made it into a molten calf, and they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Golden calf that didn't exist before, they threw all the gold together to make it, didn't part the Red Sea, didn't send all the locusts and all the different things to Pharaoh, whose heart was hardened. Ezekiel 8.10 So I entered and looked, and behold, every form of creeping thing and beast and detestable things, with all the idols of the house of Israel, were carved on the wall all around. Think about your homes right now. Think about where you live. Are there things in your home right now that don't belong there? Think about that for a minute. Are there things that take your time, talent, and treasure up so much that you give a preoccupation of your time to those things? And I'm not just talking about that thing that's about this big, and then you have one of these things, and you're like, You're sitting back in your throne, the lazy boy chair. I'm sorry, I mean your throne. Think about those things in your home that preoccupy your time so much that God barely gets the leftovers of a week. And then we're crying out when we're hurting. All of a sudden, God, help, help, help. We didn't want his help when we were, uh, uh. What are the things in our homes? Brothers and sisters, hear me this morning. Are there idols that we've erected in our homes? Maybe it's television, Facebook, iPads, cell phones. How much time and devotion do we give to them? Be honest. And then contrast, well, how much time does God get? Think about it. You're only alive because he's allowing you to be alive. Every breath you take is a gift from God. Every beat of your heart is a gift from God. Think about it, church. The very God. And think about how incredibly patient he is with all of us. That when we sit there and we start worshiping things in creation, he still is patient with us. And we spit in his face and just play that game with him and act like everything's cool. You know, today the idols are not just those things. It could be sex, drugs, booze, fame, money, prestige, cars, homes, material things. It's 527. So the tragic process of idol making is just as strong as it was 2,000 years ago. Ask yourself a question. What does your lifestyle communicate in relation to how you handle money? Be honest. Where does the money that God gives you to survive go? $100 cable bill? Oh, ouch, sorry. Sorry. Ouch. What does it go to? What does it go to that's destructive in your life? How about what does your lifestyle communicate in relation to sexual purity? 
Are you laying with somebody that you're not married to and excusing you? Hey, oh, we're going to get married. Oh, yeah. Last time I read Genesis, says, For this cause a man, the Yish, shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his Ishna, his wife. It doesn't say he'll be joined to his girlfriend and shack up and see if it works out. Well, it's getting quiet in here now. I, I can't find that in Scripture which says it's okay to do that. You leave your mom and dad and you're joined to your wife, your Ishna, who's part of you. How do you treat people of the opposite sex? Your identity and my identity is always rooted in what we worship, church. The person who worships material possessions is going to define himself by what he owns. The person who worships success will have his identity rooted in his achievements. What you worship is going to define who you are, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. And the root of this seems to be pride. So people who deliberately, willfully, knowingly disobey God really aren't taking them seriously. But there's going to be a day when you do. There's going to be a day when you and I draw our last breath on earth because it's appointed once for a man to die and then a judgment. Please understand, there's no second chance. There's no such thing as purgatory. It is appointed, the Bible says, forgive me, I'm insignificant, it says it is appointed once for a man to die and then the judgment. If we don't take them seriously now, you will take them seriously on judgment day. It's interesting that even though we do this, God wants to rescue us from ourselves. Our indwelling sin is what makes us care only for self. So then, wrapping this up, this great exchange that is happening in our lives right now is something that you and I all equally need the Lord to rescue us from. So then, as I finish up, let's take a moral inventory of our lives and ask ourselves if it is possible that we may be self-deceiving ourselves about where we stand with God today when I asked you those questions at the beginning of this message. What does it mean to come to Christ, Pastor Jack? It means that we are to place our whole life in his hands, not just a couple parts of it. It means that we transfer our suffering lives for salvation and place it completely on Christ. Let me close with something Steve Lawson says, slide 28. By the gospel invitation, Jesus called for those in the crowd to exchange their heavy load of sin for his light yoke of grace. Jesus is offering true rest for your soul. Even so, he calls you to cease from your labors to earn salvation. Stop your tireless efforts of self-righteousness. Come and rest in his saving work on your behalf. No one comes to Christ on his own conditions. No one cuts their own deals with Christ. Slide 29. Search me, O Lord. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxious thoughts. Anybody have anxious thoughts today? See if there's any hurtful way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning. I know this was a really tough message to preach, but it had to be. If you were to drop dead this afternoon, get hit by a car or something else, and you were to stand before the true, living, and holy God, 
as the Bible clearly states that you will. And he was to ask you this question, why, why in the world should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer to that question be? Someday, every one of you listening around the world and you in this room, someday you're going to drop dead. Someday you are, your life is going to end and there is no coming back. They can hit you with the paddles. You're not coming back. It is appointed once for man to die and then to judgment. I'm going to ask you this morning, if the Holy Spirit is knocking on your heart right now, I'm going to ask you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ as he has now been freely offered to you in the gospel, placing your whole life in his hands, trusting in him for salvation. That means every sinful, rotten, filthy thing that I have ever done and you have ever done has now been taken and has now been placed on Christ. His perfect life of righteousness is now taken from him and placed in your account so that when you stand before God, he sees the Son's righteousness on your behalf because there's none that you and I have. Listen to me this morning. There's no act by where you can make yourself right with, your God, with God on your own terms. It is all Christ's work. It is all his plan. So think about it. Every simple thing, past, present, and future that you've done, the Father's taking it. He placed it on his son 2,000 years ago. His son was beaten, punished, and died on that cross. The debt has now been paid. His life of righteousness now, that credits your account. No longer non-sufficient funds, guys. Accounts wiped clean. You are trusting, believing in, relying on what Christ did 2,000 years ago on that cross to pay your sin debt in full. Think through all of this this morning. Think it. Now is the time for you to get right with God. You don't know that you're going to have tomorrow. Now is the time. If there's any unconfessed sin in your life, this is the time for you to get alone with God and, and, and openly confess it. Listen, he already knows it anyway. The confession's for your benefit, not his. He knew what sins you were going to commit a bazillion years before he even invented time. Please, surrender your life to Christ. If there are things that you know that you're doing that are dishonoring to him, you have the power. Listen, in Romans 6, the Bible says the same power the rest did Raised Jesus from the dead is the exact same power given in each one of you to walk in a new way of life. So that same Holy Spirit power, and I told you before, when God fills somebody with the Holy Spirit, he doesn't fill them two quarts low. You get all the Holy Spirit you could ever want. So that same power that resurrected Christ is the exact same power given to you to walk in a new way of life. So if there are things in your life that God says thou shalt not do, you have the opportunity and you have the empowerment from the Holy Spirit to walk away and change that lifestyle. And here's the thing. You're going to be blessed because you do it. Look up and receive God's blessing. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 